Well, howdy, this is Christian Collins with uh, Christian Collins Show. Thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, we have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, uh, Reverend Rafael Cruz, father of Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, he's done so much for the state of Texas, for our country, to fight for liberty. And when he talks about the issue of socialism, he knows what that is, specifically because he came from communist Cuba and socialism is the economic vehicle of the totalitarian uh, dictatorship that Fidel Castro used in, in communist Cuba. So Rafael knows a thing or two about socialism. I look forward to sharing uh, you with, uh, sharing Rafael with you all. So before we go there, I have a book uh, that I produced earlier this year. It's called Second Wind, and, and my friend Rafael Cruz actually did the forward for this book. And uh, some of the proceeds went to New Danville, and they will continue to go to New Danville. If you'd like to order the book, it's secondwindbook.com. And New Danville is a place for special needs uh, youth, and so anyone that needs help uh, can go there. And I specifically have a heart for Down syndrome youth, so that's a great, great focus there. Uh, this book is for anybody that needs a second wind. It's not just for runners. It's for somebody that is, has gone through hard times and they're broken and, and they need God to do a renewing in their life. And so uh, that's why I wrote the book. So uh, go to secondwindbook.com and check that out. Without further ado, uh, Rafael Cruz. And uh, Rafael, how are you doing today? Christian, it's great to be with you. You're looking good. Well, thank you, as are you, and um, I've, I've been with you for a couple of years now. Of course, I met you on Senator Cruz's campaign for president back in 2015. I had the blessing of getting to travel with you to many states across the country, and we had such a, a, an amazing experience. I, I watched you give many, many talks about why Christians should get involved in the political process, and that has been your charge throughout the country. And I've probably spent thousands of hours with you, so I, I have those uh, speeches ingrained in my mind. And uh, it's been such a blessing to be mentored by you, Raphael. I'm, I'm just grateful for your friendship. Well, Christian, thank you so very much for those very kind words. And I'll tell you, it's been a great blessing to me to see how you have developed from when we started that you were basically new to the political arena and how fast you have matured and you have become a conservative leader and uh, you are making a difference and not only in Texas but I think across America. God has got great plans for you my brother. Well I received that and thank you so much Rafael. Well enough about me. Um, you are a, such a special person and I, I really want to the audience to get to hear your story uh, because um, your story has so much weight behind it. When we're talking about the issue of socialism that everybody's thinking about today, um, you've experienced communist Cuba. Uh, you you know what it was like under a, an oppressive dictator, Batista, then, then Castro. Um, I would love for you to share your story and um, start wherever you'd like, uh, but I'd, I'd, I'll ask a few questions in between, but I just would love to hear your story. Well, Christian, you know, as, as you know, I was born in Cuba in 1939 and uh, grew up uh, on the beach. We lived about a half a block from the beach, so 
my childhood was spent fishing and swimming and so on and so forth. But in 1952, a dictator took over Cuba through a military coup, and uh, he was also backed by the Communist Party in Cuba, but he was a military dictator, very oppressive. Uh, thousands upon thousands of dissidents were killed. And the revolution started initially as student protests. Uh, students in the university and in the high school protesting all the excesses and all the oppression and all the killings of this military dictator. I was in high school at the time, was in the student union, and I become, became involved in those protests. And then in uh, 1953, a young leader rose up talking about freedom, very charismatic leader. His name was Fidel Castro. And he basically appealed to the youth. He was talking about idealism and freedom, and uh, we all were hoodwinked. I was one of those that was hoodwinked, and I joined the revolution. And uh, as a result of that, uh, I found myself uh, captured twice, imprisoned the second time. On three different occasions, by all probability, I should have been killed. And. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the, the last time when I was in prison, uh, typically the way the Batista regime operated is they would pick you up, they would severely uh, torture you to try to get whatever information they could out of you, and two or three days later you would appear shot on the street with a pistol in your hand, and the headlines were always the same. This person tried to attack an army patrol, they were attacked, they were killed in self-defense. So when I was arrested, I went through very severe torture. I was convinced that would be my fate. But you know, a miracle occurred. That God that I didn't know, but he knew me, that God performed the miracle. And uh, I was shocked one morning when I was taken out of my cell and brought before the the uh, colonel in charge of that army garrison, I thought I was going to a firing squad. And that colonel said, uh, we're going to release you. But if a bomb explodes in this city, we're coming to get you. And I remember saying to the colonel, but colonel, how can I be responsible for what other people do? And he said, I don't give a flip. If a bomb explodes in this city, I'm coming to get you. So I remember my father took me home. I was covered in blood and uh, my sister and my uh, mother were hysterical. And uh, I remember I had only been home about a couple of hours when a lady whom I didn't know came to the house and said, look, I'm from the underground. Uh, they know who you are now. so." The underground recommends you get out of the country. Wow. Uh, at the time, Castro was in the mountains. We still thought Castro was a good guy. So I said to this lady, well, can I go to the mountains? And again, the hand of God. Oh, no, you cannot go to the mountains. The mountains are surrounded by Batista's goons. So they recommended I get out of the country. I had been a straight-A student. 
So I applied to three universities in the United States. The University of Texas was the first one to accept me, and that's how I became a Texan. That's so, incredible, and that's my alma mater as well. And um, one of the things I heard Ted say, and, and you never talk about it a lot, but I've heard Ted say that when you were in prison, uh, they, the officers, they smashed out your two front teeth, and that, that was a, a really, really cruel way of torturing a person. Uh, but uh, you, you, you went through a whole lot in prison, and um, I just want people to realize the gravity and, and what that type of torture looks like uh, in a prison. Uh, but I, I'm excited to hear uh, the second part of your story. And if you have anything else to add to that, then uh, please do, uh, Raphael. Well, actually, what happened with the teeth uh, is they four, four soldiers began beating me with billy clubs and uh, until I fell on the, on the ground on a concrete floor and they began kicking me and stomping on me. And in one of those, my face was facing the concrete floor and a soldier stomped on my, the back of my head with his boot and cracked actually my four front teeth, top and bottom. Wow. And uh, wow. so they totally smashed my face. But what they did is they would beat you to where you couldn't even feel any pain then they would throw you in a cell, and about four hours later, when everything hurt, they would do it again. And this was done repeatedly, so it was a time type of breaking you down. And I think what helped me the most was being convinced that they were gonna kill me. I was absolutely convinced I wasn't getting out of there. And that helped me to endure. Right. But anyway, I arrived in the United States right. in 1957, legally on a student visa. Uh, and, I uh, and, basically and you had a hundred dollars. You had a hundred dollars sewn to your your underwear, I hear as well. Well, I didn't have very much money at all, but uh, I uh, uh, worked my way through school. My first job was as a dishwasher because I didn't have any knowledge of English, and as a dishwasher, I didn't want to talk to anybody. So I washed dishes, uh, and then as I learned English, I became a cook. And How I was a cook English? all the way through my underground, on the Well, it was very interesting. The first month I was in, in, uh, in Austin, yeah. I went to the movies every day. <laughs> I would walk into a movie at six o'clock. Movies were a quarter at that time. Yeah. And I would watch the same movie three times. Mm -hmm. And I did it as work. I mean, I would concentrate and try to associate words with objects and words with actions. And of course, I would see it three times and just try to focus on phrases I'd heard the time before. I did that every day for a month. In a month, I learned to think in English. Wow. And once I learned to think in English, wow. I learned very quickly. But I'll tell you, my first year in university, I sat always sat in the front so I wouldn't be distracted. I took copious notes in English and in Spanish. And I would study with a dictionary, English-Spanish dictionary next to me. And uh, uh, most of the university, I worked eight hours a day. Worked full-time, went to school full-time. That's why I have no sympathy whatsoever for a kid telling me 
I can't go to school. My parents don't have any money. My yeah. answer to these kids yeah. is always three words. Go to work. Yeah. And yeah. Not, you worked yeah, hard. Full time. And where did, where did you live? Time, went to school. I lived in a room that cost me $12 a month. $12 a month. Yeah. Wow. And where and did you get course, your first suit? Well, uh, I'll tell you, when it was very interesting because when I was working as a cook, of course, I, I wore a cook's uniform. And uh, I remember when I graduated, and here's the thing working eight hours a day, I graduated in three and a half years. And then I remember. Right after I graduated that summer, I was uh, taking some graduate courses in the Department of Mathematics, and I was working the graveyard shift. I had a 7 o'clock class, so I would run out of that restaurant at 7 o'clock to my class in my cooking uniform, which was with the chairman of the math department. And uh, after a week there, the chairman and a professor emeritus began talking to each other. And one said to the other, it is shameful to have a graduate mathematician come to stink up the class. So I probably have the honor of being the only person that was ever offered a teaching job at the university without ever applying for it. Wow. After a week wow. in that class, they offered me a job teaching mathematics at the University of Texas. Wow. Now, going back to the suit, as... Teaching now, I had to wear a coat and tie. Yeah. So now I wore a coat and tie, but I was being paid as a cook. And yeah. I got my food free when I was a cook. But that's progress. But anyway, back to the story of Cuba. So I came to Cuba, and when Castro took over, I went back to Cuba. And boy, did I ever get a shock. You know, Christian, that same man that had been talking about freedom and idealism was talking about how the rich were evil, how they oppressed the poor, and the need to redistribute the wealth. Do you remember those words? Barack Obama uttered those very same words when he was running for president uh, in 2008. And... Uh, so then Castro instituted what was called military tribunals. Anybody who had not been associated with the revolution was considered an enemy of the revolution. They were brought to these tribunals. They were not allowed to have a defense. Their excuse was, you are guilty. You don't need a defense. Yeah. The outcome of those tribunals yeah. was always the same to the firing squad. They executed thousands upon thousands of people in the very few months of the Castro regime. As a matter of fact, one of the things that really irks me is to see college kids with a T-shirt with a photo of Che Guevara. Che Guevara is murderous. one of the greatest murderers. <laughs> One of the greatest murderers that has ever existed. Yeah. He was the man in charge of those firing squads. He boasted that he had killed over a thousand people personally because he would get in those firing squads and he would shoot with his pistol before the rifle shot. 
That that's terrible. And, 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 and people think that he's a handsome guy, I guess. And uh, one of Ted's friends had a picture of Che Guevara. Uh, I, I heard Ted say this on his podcast, The Verdict. And he said that he had a picture there and Ted went up to his friend and said, well, why don't you put a picture of Stalin there? You know, Joseph Stalin. And, and, and these young people don't know that Joseph Stalin and the Soviet Union killed 20 million of the Russian people are that now in China right. killed 77 million people. They don't realize the dangers of socialism and communism. And I, I also got to hear your, your aunt, uh, your, your sister, uh, Sonia, talk about how your mother, uh, Raphael, um, she was teaching during this time. She was a teacher and she was forced to talk about socialism and talk about communism and, and, and praise Fidel Castro. And, and, and she had to do something. Uh, she had to pretend like she was uh, mentally challenged and she had to deal with the stigma of being looked at as, as mentally challenged because she didn't want to indoctrinate those young people with, with communist ideals. And, and Ted told this awesome story. He said something so interesting. He said that in communist countries and especially in, 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 in communist Cuba, he said that young people would would be asked by uh, the the soldiers and, and the and the leaders in charge um, to put their head down and ask Jesus for candy. And so they'd put their hand out and, and their heads were down and they'd ask Jesus for candy and then no candy would appear. And then they said, "Well, now why don't you ask Fidel Castro for candy? So put your head down, put your hand up, and there was the candy. And that's how they indoctrinated." the kids and Bernie Sanders, a U.S. Senator who ran for president, was praising Fidel Castro just months ago and talking about how great the literacy program was in Cuba. Unbelievable that we have people like this running in our country that are so out of touch and they don't know anything about communist Cuba. What, what say you, Rafael? Well, I'll tell you, the, the indoctrination of the children is classic socialism. Both uh, Joseph Stalin and Adolf Hitler said the very same thing. Give me the children and I will rule the world. Give me the children and I will rule the, church, the world. As a matter of fact, before Castro, uh, basically literacy in Cuba was about 94%. Cuba was one of the most literate countries in all of Latin America, but the push to have 100% literacy was to have every child from the age of two years old in school so they could begin communist indoctrination. That was what it's all about. What was called literacy was a disguise to be able to indoctrinate everyone even from their childhood from very, very early age. As a matter of fact, these children were even taught, if you hear your parents talking against the government, it's your duty to denounce your parents, wow. to tell the authorities that your parents are speaking against the government. And so that form of indoctrination was- They would turn brother against sister and, 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 and brother and son against father. And, and Sonia mentioned how they had spies on every street that would watch the streets 
and make sure that nobody well, was doing something suspicious. What what they did is they set up a network, somewhat like network marketing, where in every block, every street, one one block street, they would have one person that was to spy on everybody in that in that block. And then every six blocks, they would have one person that would spy on those six. And every 36 blocks, they would have one person spying on the six who spied on the six. So everybody was afraid. Now, the other thing that, of course, occurred on the communism, and this always occurs on the communism, because you see, if you listen to the lies of Bernie Sanders, they all talk about so-called equality. The most unequal system in the world is communism. It is a lie that everybody is equal under communism. They're what happens poor. under communism is everybody equally starves. Yeah. Because you see, the other thing that happened in but Cuba very the, early, the dictators, the, the totalitarian dictators live like kings. Oh, absolutely, because what happened in Cuba very early is they confiscated the wealth from the population. They confiscated anybody that was quote, the rich was an enemy of the revolution and they confiscated all their wealth. And their definition of the rich included everybody who was a professional. If you were a lawyer or a medical doctor or an engineer, you were the rich. And so they confiscated their homes, they confiscated everything they had. And of course, that didn't go to the people that went to enrich government. They all like kings while the people all stop. To give you an idea, in Cuba for 60 years, all food has been rationed. Just to give you an idea, you and I have gone out to lunch many times. And we order a steak, and at the very least, it's an eight-ounce steak, if not bigger. That is the ration per month in Cuba per person, half a pound of meat per month per person. Wow. You and I eat half a pound of meat in one sitting. That's the monthly stipend. Coffee, two ounces. Oh. Rice, four ounces. Everything like that. So people starve. And then thing, it is all about control. It's all about power and control. One thing Sonia said is that when Americans go to uh, communist Cuba, they're shown by the government what the government wants them to see. But if you really want to know what Cuba's really like, uh, a Cuban that's visiting, visiting their relative, they know what Cuba's actually like. And uh, they don't have the, the money to buy the clothes that they need, for example, either. And, and so when Sonia visited a couple of years back, one of the things that she mentioned was she, she left all of her clothes behind uh, her 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 bra and her underwear even so that the people that she was staying with could have something that they could use I, I mean that's the type of poverty that exists in Cuba and and unfortunately um, we have leaders in our own country that don't praise people like Abraham Lincoln or, or our founding fathers uh, but but people like Bernie Sanders praise Fidel Castro and they praise the systems of government that have oppressed people, these totalitarian regimes that have oppressed people and, and caused so much harm and pain to so many people's lives. 
But you know, Christian, the challenge is ignorance. Yeah. University students and students at the high school and primary school are being brainwashed. Most of the professors in our universities across America are communists, they're Marxists, and they're indoctrinating kids to the point that today nearly 50% of college students think that socialism is a better form of government. The only reason they think that is because they don't know any better. As a matter of fact, the average 17-year-old, what do they, they, their biggest complaint to their parents is, I'm 17, I want my freedom. I want to make my own decisions. Isn't that right? Well, That's on the right. communism, nobody can make their own decision. The government makes all the decisions for you. If your listeners have not read the book 1984 by George Orwell, I strongly recommend that they read that book. That is a portrait, that was a prophetic book written over 50 years ago about a totalitarian communist regime, and that is what communism is, where government seeks to control every part of your life and everybody becomes a slave to the government. You see all these people talking about the evil of slavery and Slavery was a great evil in America, but socialism will put every one of us, every American, as a slave to the government. And that's what people that are being brainwashed do not understand. Right. Our founding fathers, the greatness of America comes because these people came with a Judeo-Christian perspective, seeking to do the will of God, the, the Constitution and the Declaration were entirely based on the Word of God. And on, on the, if you look at the second paragraph of the Constitution, of, I mean of the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. That is at the, base, the baseline of our founding and that they are endowed not by government but by our creator with certain unalienable rights you see the thing that these socialists are trying to erase from people's minds is the only reason those rights of life liberty and the pursuit of happiness are unalienable is because they come from god because if they come from government guess what government can take them away. And the other thing that we need to understand is the third of those unalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is not a right. There ain't no free lunch. It is the pursuit of happiness. But what the greatness of America is, is that if you work hard, all your dreams can be realized. There's no excuse. Right. There's and, no and, excuse. When I Raphael, came to America, go ahead. Well, you were about to probably say what I was going to say is, is you epitomized the American dream because you came from nothing. You learned the uh, the language. Speak English. 
You, you worked as a dishwasher, and then you became a cook. You graduated becoming a cook, and then you got your education, and then you started to work at the college, and then you became an engineer, and then you started a business, and then you raised a beautiful family, and now your son is a U.S. senator of the great state of Texas, Senator Ted Cruz, and, and, and uh, he was run for president. And, 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 and only in America could something like this happen. And you say often, you say often, Raphael, and I, I'll, I'll never forget this. You say, when I came to America, and I may be saying it a little different than the way that you say it, I had a place to go. But if we lose our freedom here, where am I going to go? There is no place to go, Christian. There is no place to go. As a matter of fact, in my last Facebook Live, I said, you know, all these liberals that are maligning America, I would love to buy them a one-way ticket to Cuba or to Venezuela. Right, right. And, and, and one thing that Ted always says is, 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 is that when the Berlin Wall was built, the machine guns were always facing one way. But you see, because in West Berlin, um, that was the free place, and in East Berlin, that was the communist place. And, and, the, and the machine guns were always faced toward the people that were trying to escape communism. And you also never see anybody taking a raft from Florida to Cuba. It's always, the rafts are always going one way. From, from, they're going from Cuba to Florida, you see? And um, the people that are escaping Cuba want the freedom that they have here in America. And that's why so many Cubans... Uh, Rafael, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, Senator Marco Rubio, some of our great uh, Cuban leaders are, are Republican, are conservative because they've escaped. Their families have come from communist uh, a country where they didn't have those freedoms there. And, and so it's indicative of they want to pursue their freedoms here. But you know, George Santillana once said, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. We need to learn from our past. This is why it's so crazy, these people that want to erase our history. That is the biggest mistake you could do. We need to learn from our mistakes because if not, we're going to incur them again. And Raphael, it is ludicrous to stick our heads in the sand. Raphael, I've heard that our U.S. Constitution comes from four great cities. Um, it comes from... Uh, Rome, it comes from Athens, Greece, of course. Um, it, it comes from um, and, and it comes from Jerusalem, and it comes from London, England, um, and 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 so these four cities, these four great cities, uh, helped us in in so many ways. The leaders, the founders of our country, construct a document uh, that was forged on the knees of these founders in prayer. And though these men weren't perfect. Uh, as our country is not perfect, uh, they 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 were work. They built a, a document that um, it was an ideal that every man every man uh, was created by God, and that we are all equal in God's eyes, and that we have the opportunity to pursue life, liberty, uh, and, and happiness here in America, and, and and so all men are created equal. That that is a that is something that our country has always been seeking to live up to. And, and through civil rights and because of Martin Luther King, our, our country has come to this point uh, where we're so much better 
than we've ever been before. And so though we're, we haven't been a perfect nation, we are an exceptional nation. And, and one of the things Absolutely. that I, people don't realize, yeah, one of the things that people don't realize is that Frederick Douglass was very close with Abraham Lincoln, and he worked very closely with him in the abolitionist movement. And, and there are so many people, and he was a Republican, by the way, Abraham Lincoln was. And so I say and let me this say something say, else about let me yes, say sir. something else about Frederick Douglass. Frederick yeah. Douglass was a runaway slave, so you could say he had nothing. When Frederick Douglass died, he had over three hundred thousand dollars in the bank. If you equate that to today's money, he had over nine million dollars. So. What is the excuse for anybody saying, I can't make it in America? This man, from being a runaway slave, became the right hand to President Lincoln in ending slavery and died as a multimillionaire, was a prolific writer, made a tremendous contribution to America. There is no excuse for any of us. So true, Raphael, and, 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 and what these leftists, radical leftists that have hijacked the Democrat Party and Joe Biden, who for all intents and purposes was more of a moderate Democrat at one time, has just given in completely. Um, it seems to be totally tone deaf, doesn't need to, he doesn't necessarily even know what's going on. And uh, he's, he's acquiescing to these radical leftists who have hijacked the Democrat Party and they're trying to undermine our American history. Uh, they're, they're trying to undermine the founding fathers and say that these founding fathers were terrible racist people and that our country was not founded in 1776 but actually in 1619 and, and so when slavery was first brought to, your, to America and what well, they're seeking to again, do is undermine again. the founding fathers Go ahead. Again, we need to understand our history. Yeah. There were two places where people landed. One was Plymouth, Massachusetts. Those were committed Christians that paid for whatever land they, they got from the Indians and that they established America in a Judeo-Christian uh, foundation. And then there were those people that came to Jamestown and that's where slavery occurred. So there were two different landings, two different types of Christian commitment. And actually, uh, if we look at the history, as a matter of fact, the framers, most of them were abolitionists. And even the three-fifth rule that you see in the Constitution, most people totally misunderstand it. That was to restrict the representation of those who were in favor of slaves. It was to say, look, you cannot count those slaves as one, you count them only as three-fifths to force them to make them free. It was totally to try to end slavery. Right. And they had no choice because had they not done that, all the colonies would have not come in one accord to ratify the Constitution. But the three-fifths rule was actually something to force the slave uh, colonies to outlaw slavery. That was the purpose. So it was the opposite of what people thought. Now, it was not to say those people are less human. No, it was to say 
while you have them enslaved, we will penalize you by not being able to get more representation in favor of slavery. It was to try to eliminate slavery. But you see, we don't know our history. We think that was a, a discriminatory thing, and it was the opposite. It was to penalize those who had slaves. Right. And you know what, Raphael? I love that anecdote that you just offered. And, and what we've seen uh, recently is, is that leftists have, have tried to change our history books. They, these Democrats take over school boards and then they work to change the history books in the states. And they're also taking down the monuments and not just the Confederate monuments. They're taking down, they're trying to take down the monuments of George Washington, you know, the patriarch of our great country. And they're doing everything that they can to undermine these founding fathers. And if we let them, they're going after the founding fathers right now. The next thing that they're going to go after is the, is the document that the founding fathers forged, the Constitution. So we have to push back. We have to fight for liberty. Well, they even tried to destroy uh, a statue of of uh, Frederick Douglass. Yeah. How could you consider Frederick Douglass probably did more to end slavery than almost any man? He was Lincoln's right-hand man. They tried to deface the Lincoln Memorial. Unbelievable. Lincoln, and Lincoln took a bullet in the head, you know, for the it union cost him his life cause. To be, that's right. That's right. He gave so his life it, for, it for is, their freedom, you know. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's unbelievable. So and we, but... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You were saying something. Well, we, we are almost out of time, uh, but I, I'm just so grateful to have you on this this uh, interview, Raphael. And I definitely want to have you on other parts of interviews where we can talk about different subjects. We've talked about the issue of socialism today and your story. Uh, most importantly, how it relates to the issue of socialism, what you've come through with communist Cuba. And you are what I consider an expert on the issue of the founding fathers, uh, as well as uh, why Christians should get involved in the political process. There's so many different things, uh, uh, subjects that I think you would be so well versed to speak to. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to invite you to be a part of uh, future shows, Raphael, because uh, you've really blessed Certainly, us today. But you know, uh, Christian, before we close, yeah. You know, I think today is the last day for early voting. We have yeah. we are in the middle of primary elections and there is an election coming in November. Right. I'll tell you what. This election is one of the most consequential elections ever. And not just the presidency. 2020 is census. That means 2021 will be redistricting. Look at here in Texas. If we lose the legislature to the Democrats, they will redraw the redistricting map. We are going to pick up at least three new congressional seats. If the Democrats think they will draw those three congressional seats and they will make sure they are Democrat seats. We could lose, if we lose the House to the Democrats, we could lose anywhere from eight to 10 congressional districts to the Democrats. And that could preserve 
a Democratic majority in Congress for a decade. It is critical that every conservative goes to the polls and you make sure that every person you know is registered to vote and they go to the poll and they vote, vote for the values that have made America the greatest country on the face of the earth. If we lose America, we lose, I don't know, if our children or our grandchildren will have a future. Yeah. So I encourage yeah. everyone, let's stop bickering against each other and let's unify ourselves in trying to take this country for righteousness sake and make sure that liberty prevails in America and in Texas. Amen. Amen. That's such a great message. And, and as of today, we're 115 days from Election Day, November 3rd. And so we've got I want to I want to echo your message and say that we've got to do everything that we can to register new voters. Um, and I know it's maybe harder in the age of social distancing amid a pandemic, but we've got to do everything that we can to register new voters in a safe way, going to churches, going to uh, different places where we can find our conservative voters. And as Raphael knows, about only 25 percent of the church is actually registered to vote. So that's a great place uh, to start. Uh, we've got to register the voters. We've got to get our message out. We've got to get out the vote. We, you can phone bank and in some places you can block walk. You got to do everything that you can to make sure that you leave it all on the line. Because as Reagan said, freedom is only one generation away from extinction. We've got to do everything that we can to fight for this country because if we don't, we're going to lose it. We've got to lay it down by all the way, on the line. By the way, phone banking you can do from your own home. It has nothing to do with social distancing. You can do it from your own home without anybody around you. And let me just say one more thing about the November election. If we lose the Senate, if the Democrats control and the House in Washington, President Trump will have his hands tied. He will not be able to pass any legislature. All he could do would be executive orders. It would be disastrous for us trying to appoint any more conservative judges, with being one of the greatest victories of this administration. 200 judges have been confirmed in the last less than four years. But that will change if we lose both houses of Congress. You're so right. So we need to make sure. I'm sorry. You're so right. You, you, you know, we've got to reelect President Trump and we've got to make sure that we preserve our Senate, U.S. Senate majority, because we could have some more Supreme Court justice picks if President Trump is reelected and we keep our Senate majority. And, and if we're able to do that, then we can pick uh, uh, conservative minded, uh, pro-life, pro-religious liberty, uh, pro-gun, pro-God, uh, Supreme Court justices, and that's what we need to do. We need to fight for that. But and you're right. The state house is so important. The state house is so important just, to the preservation of Texas. Just think if Schumer is, is the Senate majority leader. Do you think he's going to allow a single judge that President Trump appoints to be uh, confirmed? Not, not a Absolutely. chance. Absolutely not a chance. Not. And, and that's why it's also, it's so important that we keep our, our Texas House. We are nine seats in the majority. But if we lose that, they, like as Raphael says, they will redraw the lines. 
and because the census is this year, they will redraw the lines, and in 2021, uh, they will be able to draw everything in their favor. So that's why um, it's important to get the right people on school board and on city council and for mayor and for justice of the peace and, and for countywide officials. And But it's really important that we make sure that our state, our conservative Republican state reps win. And when the primary's over, it doesn't matter uh, you know who the state rep is. He may not be as conservative, she may not be as conservative as you like, but guess what? You know, that's better than a communist Democrat. So we've got to do everything that we can to make sure that they win and that Republicans are drawing the lines because even if we lost the House and we kept a Republican governor, his hands would be tied. He couldn't turn down what they put forth. And it would be a stalemate for a while, but the Democrats would end up winning and they would get to have the districts that they want. And so we've got to do everything that we can to lay it down all, all out on the line. And I'm, I'm going to, um, with that, Raphael, I, I want to thank you for coming on this show uh, and being a part. And I look forward to some more episodes with you. Thank you so much, Raphael. Well, thanks for being with you, Christian. Uh, blessings to you, and I wish you the very best. God bless you, and God bless all your audience. God bless you, Raphael. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, I, I'm excited to announce that we have our Texas Youth Summit, our second annual Texas Youth Summit. Um, more details will follow, but uh, we have uh, Dan Crenshaw, we have Charlie Kirk, and we have Candace Owens on September 19th at our Texas Youth Summit. I'm so excited about this. Um, if you want to learn more about our Texas Youth Summit, you can go to TexasYouthSummit.com. Again, that's TexasYouthSummit.com. And we've got to win the youth. Raphael talked about socialism and how uh, Castro went after the youth because that's really where the future is. And as a party, a Republican party, as conservatives, we've got to make sure that we win the youth because as unfortunately the liberals have control of, of social media, they have control of the mainstream media, they have control of, uh, of the search engines, they have control of the school systems, the colleges and universities. Uh, we've got to do everything that we can to reach youth. So if you'd like to get involved with this effort, uh, send me a message and stay in touch with us. It's so important what we're doing uh, and we want to teach them conservative principles of limited government fiscal responsibility american exceptionalism and the judeo-christian values that this country was founded upon it's so important that we fight for our freedom and so with that thank you guys for tuning in god bless you and god bless texas <laughs>